0: Biology. 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 Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. My name is Mr. Kalella, and we are going to continue on our journey through the HSC syllabus. Today, we're going to look at the inquiry question, why is polypeptide synthesis important? And more specifically, we are looking at the key point that is model the process of polypeptide synthesis, including transcription and translation, assessing the importance of mRNA and tRNA in transcription and translation, analyzing the function and importance of polypeptide synthesis, and assessing how genes and environment affect phenotypic expression. All right. I feel like this dot point is probably one of the most important in the syllabus because it is so heavily weighted towards skills. It has come up quite a lot, but I think a lot of the content in here is just so important to understand because it it links so well with so many other parts of the syllabus. So we're going to start at looking at the process of polypeptide synthesis. Um, But before we do that, I think it's important that we define some of the key terms and just give you an overview of what a polypeptide is. So a polypeptide is basically a chain of amino acids all joined together. But what is an amino acid? Well, I like to usually describe them to my students as tiny spheres and they act as the bricks or the building blocks to everything in our body. These tiny spheres can be connected together with a bond, and that is the peptide bond. And when you join one sphere to another, to another, to another, you get a poly, many, many, peptide chain. Now, if we were to continue on that vein and join many, many, many more of those amino acids together, we have a complete polypeptide chain. And the polypeptide chain can itself be called a protein once it is folded into a particular shape, or it can join together with many different polypeptide chains to form a protein. This whole process did used to be called protein synthesis, but as I just mentioned previously, uh, many of these polypeptides usually make up a protein. All right, let's get into it now. With this entire process, I would say that of everything that we teach, this is definitely one of my favorites. It is like unveiling the secrets of everything. It's using that DNA and, and making physical things out of it. What do you do? no? Oh, no. this is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Really, this is the process of making you who you are and uh, all of your structures in your body. And I think once you learn about these uh biological mechanisms, you just... It's, it's so unbelievable that we are um, almost just like a computer, a biological computer. So in terms of teaching this content, I think it's one of the best. I think the kids uh, quite enjoy it. So make sure you do get out the, uh, the models and the diagrams and everything and um, lots of useful YouTube videos as well. That's definitely how I uh, got a good idea of how it all works. All right, let's begin and we are going to start in the nucleus of a cell. And this will be in most cells in your body, and uh, there is a good question, question 33 in the HSC exam 2019, that uh, proposes this uh, whole concept in a really confusing way, but it's actually quite a simple answer to the question, so if you do want to check that out, you can. So, we're starting in the nucleus, and as you guys would know by now, the DNA is in the nucleus but we cannot make anything in the nucleus. Everything that gets made in the cell occurs outside of the nucleus. So we need to get a message to the outside. That is what this process is doing in the beginning. We call this transcription. We are going to be scribing down or writing down the information from the DNA so that we can take it outside of the nucleus and give it to a ribosome. So transcription starts with... An enzyme called RNA polymerase. Now, this enzyme attaches to the DNA strand and does two jobs at once. It unzips the strand. It uh, it opens those hydrogen bonds up, and as it is opening them, those bonds up, it is then moving down the DNA. Now, where is it moving? Well, it depends on what we need to make. So, your DNA contains genes for everything that you make inside you, from muscles to Uh, proteins like insulin. Um, So whatever it is that we need is where we start. So the RNA polymerase will attach to your DNA somewhere. It will start to unzip it. But at the same time that it's unzipping it, it will start to make a copy of that code. It is a complementary copy. Now, it's not going to be on a string of DNA that it is copying it to. It's going to be on a different strand called RNA, which stands for ribonucleic acid. It has a different sugar. DNA has deoxyribose and RNA has just ribose. Now, that RNA has a few different uh, individual factors that make it unique. First of all, it is a single strand. It is helical in shape, but as I said, it is a single strand of ribonucleic acid. Now, the other main difference is that it has a different base from DNA. So instead of having thymine, it replaces this with uracil. That is very important because again, this is a uh, skills content style question where quite often you have to transfer DNA to RNA, RNA to something called tRNA that we're going to talk about in a minute, um, and sometimes you have to work backwards. So understanding these differences between DNA and RNA are very important. So, The RNA polymerase has attached to our DNA somewhere. It is moving down the length of that DNA and making a copy and transcribing it onto mRNA. Now, once that RNA has been transcribed, as in we have the complete message to make whatever it is that we're making. Quite often with my students, I always go through uh, the protein hemoglobin or insulin because they're very useful in talking about um, important functions in the body. One thing I will just touch on quickly, before the RNA leaves the nucleus, it is processed slightly. So some of the um, bases that go into that RNA are not actually needed, Uh, and so they get spliced out. They get cut out and recombined, and the cutout parts, we call them introns, and the bits that are remaining are called exons. Once that process has occurred, that RNA strand can now be called mature mRNA messenger RNA. We now have a complete message that has all the information we need to make whatever it is that we're making. That mRNA is now going to make its way outside of the nucleus and attach to one of the millions of ribosomes we have around our nucleus. The ribosomes are the factories in your body. They are going to be taking that message and turning it into real things. This is where the magic happens. Once that mRNA has attached to the ribosome, it can then be drawn through. And you can think about this as kind of like a conveyor belt, but it works in a very unique way. The ribosome can only read the bases three at a time, and we call these three bases a codon. That is very important because, again, it's going to be linked to skills questions that you will quite often see. Now, those codons, whatever letter combination they may be, AUG... Um, UAC, GGG, it's always in three. But the reason that it is in three is because it needs to match to something called an anticodon. So once three bases are sitting inside that ribosome, the ribosome will wait for another molecule to come over called tRNA, transfer RNA. Now the transfer RNA are carrying those amino acids, the ones I spoke about at the start, those tiny spheres that have are the building blocks to everything. So the tRNA on their on the bottom of their structure have an anticodon, three bases that will match exactly with the three bases on the codon from the mRNA strand. The ribosome will then bring those two things together When they have matched, the amino acid will be separated from the tRNA and will be left at the top of the ribosome. This will then happen again and again and again. The mRNA will be pulled through three bases at a time, and a matching tRNA molecule will combine and deposit its amino acid. Those amino acids will start to join by peptide bonds, as we spoke about before. Once we have one, two, three, four, five amino acids all joined together, we can start to see that chain is forming. Once all of the amino acids have been deposited to make the necessary polypeptide, the process will stop and the polypeptide will either form into that protein or combine with many different polypeptides to make a particular structure. Now that entire process um, going through that ribosome is known as translation. We are translating that message that we took from the DNA, turned it into RNA, put it into the ribosome. We are translating that message into something that is real. Um, and the example, as I said before, um, we could be making hemoglobin. Now I'm going to go through it one more time and I'm going to try and be as clear as I can be and use an example throughout. So let's say that you need to make some hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is important because it increases the oxygen carrying capacity in your blood. To make hemoglobin, we're going to need four polypeptide chains all joined together. So once again, we start in the nucleus with the process of transcription. The RNA polymerase will attach to your DNA at the appropriate gene. It will then unzip that gene and make a copy on an RNA strand. That RNA strand will then need to be processed, so introns will be cut out and exons will be left put together. The mRNA, keeping in mind we have replaced our T's with U's, makes its way outside of the nucleus and attaches to a ribosome. Now translation can occur. The mRNA will be drawn through the ribosome three bases at a time called a codon. The codon will match to an anticodon found on a tRNA molecule, a transfer RNA molecule. Think about these tRNA molecules as little flying triangles that have a tiny amino acid on their heads and when they land they deposit their amino acid. So, The codon matches with the anticodon on the tRNA and the amino acid is deposited at the ribosome. This happens with the next codon and the next and so on and so forth. Once all of the tRNA molecules have matched with the codons on the mRNA strand and all those uh, amino acids have been joined together in a chain, we now have a polypeptide. But because hemoglobin is made from four chains, there needs to be four polypeptides made. So this process is occurring throughout all of your cells and any ribosome has the ability to make any of the proteins or polypeptides. So once those four chains have been successfully made, they will then combine together, fold into the unique shape that is hemoglobin and be ready to do their role in the body. That is the process of polypeptide synthesis. All right, now I wanna add just a couple of extra bits and pieces to that. First of all, the amino acids that I spoke about today, there are 20 different types. So when we do combine them in unique ways, those uh, different amino acids can obviously do different things. Um, Those 20 amino acids, you can actually work out which one is being used on a codon table. If you haven't had a go at a codon table, make sure you do check it out. It's where you look at those three bases in a codon, the first, the second and the third, and then you appropriately line them up on the table from left, top, and then the right to match the amino acid. Now another thing you heard me talk about in the process was RNA processing. Um, so this removal of introns and the leaving of exons Why is that important? Well, you can combine exons in in different combinations to make different proteins from the same gene. Now, I'll say that again because it's a little confusing, but if you imagine you have a gene of of a set amount of bases, um, you can recombine those codes in different ways to make different proteins and so um, alternate splicing can be used on gene regions to make different proteins from the same section which is pretty amazing now this is all done as i said inside the nucleus um, before it leaves so it goes from pre-mRNA to mature mRNA in this process And this is all done by an enzyme called a spliceosome, which is a pretty cool-sounding enzyme. So the spliceosome, its job is to cut out the bits that are not needed and recombine the bits that are needed. So again, another element of complexity to this uh, insane method. So sometimes it's good to give students an alternate example of how this works. So an analogy that works quite well is the idea of a restaurant and uh, the making of food by a chef. And so each part can be... Um, analogous to that of, of, of making food in some way. So if we start in the nucleus once again, you can imagine that the DNA is kind of like a cookbook and if you imagine the cookbook has the instructions to everything you need to make and if you imagine that we need to just find one recipe from that cookbook and once we find it we just want to make a photocopy of it to give to the chef so what we do is we put on a photocopy machine and we copy it that can be representative of the RNA polymerase now that copy can then be delivered to the chef and so we've got to go and give it to him inside the restaurant so you've got to go outside the nucleus you've got to go into the restaurant once the chef has the recipe, he can then start to make it. But just like the codons need to be read three at a time, a recipe needs to be read one step at a time. So you can imagine those being similar. Now, each step um, that he reads, he'll need a different ingredient. And so you can imagine that he has kitchen hands who bring over the different ingredients. So that like, is uh, akin to the three codons matching with the tRNA. Uh, And the anticodon. So the kitchen hands bring in the ingredient one at a time, and the chef starts putting them together, the chef being the ribosome. Uh, Once all the ingredients have been combined together, we then have a meal or Part of a meal. If we need to, we might need to add more to that meal. So it might be, you know, entree, main, and dessert. And so we need multiple parts to make our finished product, in which case we'd be making that finished protein. So that's the idea of the restaurant analogy, um, and it does work quite well. All right, let's take a quick look at the dot point again and make sure we have addressed each of the key factors. So it says model the process of polypeptide synthesis. So make sure that you do model it. Um, in some way, shape or form using um, play or whatever it might be. But it is very important for the kids to see this visually. Um, with transcription and translation, which is the first dot, two dot points, we've just been through those. So transcription, everything that happens in the nucleus, translation, everything that happens at the ribosome. The next dot point is assessing the importance of mRNA and tRNA in transcription and translation. So the importance of mRNA in transcription is that we get an accurate copy of that DNA. Without that accurate copy, we're not going to eventually form the correct polypeptide. And so in translation, mRNA is important. As it needs to be read three bases at a time, those three bases need to be the correct bases to match with the tRNA molecule. And so if they're not correct, you're going to once again get errors and the incorrect amino acid may be brought to the ribosome that also covers us for the importance of the tRNA molecule so it needs to be accurately functioning and depositing the correct amino acid by matching that anticodon with the codon any incorrect matching mechanisms are going to cause a change in that amino acid which will eventually lead to a misfolded or malfunctioning polypeptide now, the next stop point says, analyze the function and importance of polypeptide synthesis. So what is the importance of the whole process? Well, the function is to produce proteins. The end game is to make something. For example, hemoglobin. We want to make things. The function is to make them. That's what it is. Why is it important? Well, for us to function effectively as a human being all of the parts need to work together. And so all of our proteins need to be working as they are intended for our body to maintain its health and continue moving and and, and existing. Um, so a good example that I use for this is uh, if there are any changes to those uh, the process of polypeptide synthesis or the DNA, we can get uh, errors and mistakes. And with hemoglobin, you have a single base change that can cause you to get sickle cell anemia and sickle cell anemia is where your hemoglobins don't form properly, they stick together and you get the sickle shape in your red blood cells. So without that correct copying mechanism making the correct proteins, you're going to get errors, you're going to get problems and they're going to lead to uh, a detrimental effect on the organism. Uh, So without those things, don't function. So the last dot point here is assessing how genes and environment affect phenotypic expression. And this is a pretty awesome feature of uh, all living things that um, even if you have identical genes to someone else, um, so clones are a great example of this because they have identical DNA, um, they pretty much all the time look different. And that's because the environment that they're in, um, whether it be temperature or sunlight or pH or whatever it is, can affect the way the genes are expressed. In other words, how they look or the thing that you get, the protein you get can be different, which is pretty incredible. Um, And so uh, based on your environment, you can get different uh, features from the same DNA. So a great example for, uh, to use for this would be hydrangeas. So if you had uh, two hydrangea plants or one plant uh, or a clone, so you could take a cutting, and you planted them in acidic or alkaline soil, you would notice that they go blue or pink respectively, just depending on that soil type. So again, same DNA, different environment, different phenotypic expression. So the color is different. So that's what they mean uh, by the phenotypic expression. A really cool experiment you could do if you want to do one at school, it's very simple, is just putting a, uh, a plant in the cupboard and a plant on the, on the bench and seeing how they grow differently, assuming they're identical and seeing how they uh, do change depending on their conditions. So the one in the cupboard has no access to light and you'll find that it goes yellow uh, and the one that is on the bench is, uh, will, will go green as it has more access to light. So the, the change in that concentration of chlorophyll Uh, change in that phenotypic expression yellow and green all right very quickly i will mention the last stop point um before i go which is investigate the structure and function of proteins in living things now we've already mentioned quite a few proteins in the previous stop point But I will go through a few more. So investigate the structure and function of proteins in living things. So we've talked a lot about the structure of proteins. They're made from amino acids. But even more so, they have basically four levels of complexity. So in the beginning, the primary structure is is what we've talked about so far. Primary structure is one where the amino acids are joined together in a simple chain. In a secondary layer, so as the folding begins, they start to take on mainly two different shapes. They can form pleated sheets or alpha helixes. So basically, they start to bond the gaps between the amino acids together. Then when we get to our um, tertiary structure, so the third level, it becomes more complex. So you get a combination of both pleated sheets and Uh, alpha helixes all joined together. So it's multiple foldings and and joining and and bonding between that hydrogen. So it's quite complex and usually depicted in three dimensions. The last structure called quaternary is where the uh, fully formed polypeptide or protein, sorry, is, is made. So a quaternary structure has usually more than one polypeptide joined together and it's all folded in the most complex final stage of that protein. So quaternary is the last stage of the structure in terms of a protein. Now, once again, it says function of proteins in living things. So I've already mentioned a couple. Um, So I've mentioned hemoglobin and the structure of hemoglobin It is made up of two different chains alpha and beta chains and there are two of each so two alphas and two betas giving you a total of four so four polypeptides all joined together to make a hemoglobin molecule so that's an example of a structure of hemoglobin the function i spoke about already it increases the oxygen carrying capacity in your blood um, which is pretty important The other protein I like to speak about is insulin, and insulin's important because, well, it it comes up later in the syllabus, um, but it's important because it helps you regulate your blood sugar levels. Um, So the structure of insulin, it is made up of two chains and it's a bit hard to describe the, the shape of it, but it is bonded together um, with disulfide bonds. Uh, but for the most part, it's made up of yeah, those two chains. And as I said before, the function of it is to help your body to absorb glucose. So when your blood sugar levels get too high, insulin is released, which causes your liver to uptake that glucose. Your body cells also uptake glucose, uh, and that decreases your blood sugar levels. So another really good one to talk about in terms of its structure function because it comes up later as well all right i hope that was helpful today guys and i will see you next time on the podcast